Welcome to Women on Wealth, a podcast by women for women. Our mission is to empower women to embrace the discussion around wealth, demystify finance and market-related topics, and break down the emotions that surround these decisions. Your host is Julina Ogilvie, partner and wealth advisor with Principal Wealth Partners. She's a certified private wealth advisor and a certified investment management analyst with over 20 years of industry experience. Well, welcome everyone to Women on Wealth. This is Jelena, and the topic today is non-adversarial divorce. And I will first share my parents divorced when I was in high school. And I think anyone that goes through the process will agree that it never feels normal. Uh, it always leaves an impression, not only on the parents, but on the children and any, any other family member that's involved. So to me, it's a very important topic. I think it's an important topic to, to many of us listening. And even though the divorce rate is not the highest that I've seen around the world, there's a lot of countries with a lot higher of a divorce rate. I would still suggest that we have a very high divorce rate in this country today. It's come down, but it looks like it's still just below 50%. So certainly impacting a lot of us. And I've asked my guest today to join us um, because of this conversation around not all divorces need to be adversarial. And so with me today, I have Rosemarie Ferrante, who is a family attorney focusing on non-adversarial divorce through mediation and collaborative divorce. Her goal is to make a positive impact on the divorce process by giving couples the resources and tools they need to help their family transition smoothly through the restructuring of the family. Uh, her practice helps couples who wish to separate or divorce in reaching agreements that foster goodwill and trust, easier said, easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. While meeting each spouse's individual goals and needs and support an ongoing positive relationship with the children and with each other as co-parents. So, um, she is um, she is a member, active member of a lot of organizations, including, of course, the American Bar Association. Um, but the one that stood out for me was the Connecticut Council for Non-Adversarial Divorce, which is the CCND. So I'm going to um, welcome Rosemary. Thank you for joining us. Hi, how are you? Nice to be here. I we're so I'm just so excited to have you here. And um, I I have to first ask because I know when I looked at your background and from you and I chatting, you started as a litigator. And you, it looks like you made this aggressive pivot in your in your career. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I um I started litigating back in the '90s, and I first worked in New York, and then I eventually moved and relocated to Connecticut. And so while in Connecticut, I was a litigator in Lower Fairfield County, um, and I worked with a lot of well-known litigators who are still litigating. And, um, and from there, early, early on in the process, I saw a lot of, a lot of destruction. The court process really, in my opinion, is not set up to help families smoothly transition through the divorce process. And, you know, as I always tell people, if you're going to court on, for example, a personal injury matter, and you need to beat somebody up in court who you're never going to see again, that's one thing. But when you're dealing with family matters, especially when there are children involved and you need to still co-parent, it's a very difficult process to get through without a lot of collateral damage. Of course, high cost, um, but most importantly, the, the collateral damage that could affect the children. 
And so I did pivot completely to non-adversarial divorce processes. I don't litigate at all anymore. And I just um, try to help families get through the process in as smooth a manner as possible. No, I thank you. And I appreciate that. And it's, it's interesting, this term non-adversarial divorce, this is still new to me. I, when uh, my parents divorced in the nineties and the phrase I was familiar with at the time was mediation. So can you, can you talk about what, what this term is? Sure. You know, and there are a lot of terms, Uh, amicable divorce is one of them, but divorces typically aren't amicable. You can certainly make them non-adversarial though. So, you know, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. And truly, you can guide your family through the divorce process in as healthy a manner as possible. So there are two non-adversarial divorce processes, mediation and collaborative divorce. Okay, got it. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, and the primary reasons that someone approaches you for this, are, are there, you know, what do you find is... I I know I asked you this and you kind of laughed. I asked if there was any commonality, but can you talk a little bit about how they come to you? Sure. So yeah, there's really no, I mean, any, well, I shouldn't say anybody can mediate. The couples that I get who are interested in mediation run the gamut, you know, across, across socioeconomic status, across ages, you know, it could be a short-term marriage, a long-term marriage with children, without Um, But the commonality is really, I think that people recognize maybe we didn't do marriage well, but we can do divorce well. Mm. And that's not easy. That's a tall order. You know, so there are three parts of every divorce and you can't necessarily separate them. There's the emotional piece, there's financial, and then there's legal. And oftentimes people run to the legal. They think, let me run to the lawyer's office. Let me serve my spouse with divorce papers and get this started but you don't have to do it that way. And so the two non-adversarial divorce processes really keep the court's involvement to a minimum. Mm-hmm. And the, the basis of the goals, and I can talk about the goals in a minute, but the basis is let's make sure the emotional homework is done. Let's make sure that both spouses have the emotional support system that they need. And then financially, there's a lot of financial homework. So let's make sure that the right team is in place. Again, no matter which process you use, whether it's mediation or collaborative. And so when you are doing those two pieces of prep work, the legal becomes a lot smoother. And so very early on in the process, when I'm meeting with clients, I'm talking about what the processes are, why they're, why, how I should say non-adversarial, I'm sorry, how collaborative and mediation are the same. Right. And how they differ and what a team like approach looks like. Okay. Yeah. So I could tell you a little about how they're the same and how they differ. That's helpful. Yeah, no, actually that would, that would be great. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, great. So, you know, non-adversarial divorce, uh, both mediation and collaborative divorce have the same underlying tenants and to have a successful non-adversarial divorce, both spouses need to understand that this is a good faith process there is full transparency. So while there won't be depositions and subpoenas and formal discovery, there still is an analysis of all the finances. Everything has to be disclosed. Now that doesn't mean 
that you just have to 100% trust that your spouse is going to disclose everything. But let's make sure that there's a certified divorce financial analyst involved Mm -hmm. to analyze the documents, to gather the finances, to identify the financial issues so that you can set up those discussions properly. Maybe you need a CPA and, and tax advice. Maybe appraisals are necessary. You're not waiving any rights to do any of those things. You're still doing them, but it's in a more fact-finding, goal-oriented process. So whether that's mediation or collaborative, again, those two pieces are necessary. Okay. The way that they differ, differ is really the team. Mm-hmm. So in a mediation, if you're working with an attorney mediator such as myself, the attorney cannot give legal advice. So as a mediator, you're facilitating all of the discussions, you're providing resources, you're making sure everyone has all the information they need to make good decisions. Outside of mediation, you're always encouraged to have an independent attorney as review counsel who can give you that advice. But that review counsel's role in a mediation is to support the process. So Very often I hear from people who are contemplating mediation, well, we don't want review counsel. We're trying to stay away from lawyers. And I take no offense to that. Sometimes they forget I am a lawyer. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, you know, the, the role of review counsel is to make sure that you as the person going through the mediation understands the discussions you're having in mediation, understands the other options, understands maybe judicial norms. And, you know, the different pieces of the puzzle, perhaps it's okay because your goals are X to give up a little bit on Y, but maybe bring this back to the table. Okay. And so they're very efficient processes for open dialogue. Um, But the team in, so again, in a mediation, you're meeting with that one mediator Mm -hmm. in a collaborative divorce. Every meeting is with you and your spouse and your individual collaborative attorneys. Right. Okay. So now there's no mediator in those meetings, but there's you and your lawyers. Still the same discussions, goal-oriented discussions. Let's review the documents. Let's make sure that we have the CDFAs involved or the CPAs involved, potentially even a a mental health neutral who can help manage the emotions. Right. So the team is different, but the goals are the same. Right. So you would, in essence, be representing one side of of the couple. Correct. Now, the difference why that's not litigation Mm -hmm. is there's an actual participation agreement that everyone signs that says we're not going to court. So there's this safety net that we are we are all in in this process. And and by the way, if it does break down for some reason, you need another lawyer because you don't want the lawyers involved to have any reason to create conflict. Fair. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, the three pieces, the emotional, the financial and the legal aspect. Um, And you referenced again, the emotional piece where it sounds like you need both sides to have the same emotional um, sort of position, if that's fair to say. And that can't be easy when you, when it starts, can you comment about that? That's a really good point. You know, very often, when I see people, it's not uncommon for one spouse to be 10 steps ahead of the other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay, because part of that initial process is maybe one of the first things you need to sort of mediate is the timeline. 
Yeah. You don't want to drag someone through the process and you don't want to be dragged through the process. Exactly. Right. So yeah. early on, if I see particularly situations where I, and I meet with both cup, both spouses, by the way, if I see one of them is really divorced ambivalent, I'm going to talk to them about things like discernment counseling right. and how they might get on. So they may not both be ready and you both need to be ready to proceed with mediation because it's still hard work. You know, this right. isn't all rainbows and unicorns. It's still difficult discussions. Right. And it, you can't extract the emotional from these discussions, but you need to be able to manage the emotional. Absolutely. Probably one of the most difficult pieces, right? Absolutely. And, and I, I, it's obviously they should be coming to someone like you before you go into litigation, <laughs> but it, it, when is too early for that, for someone to approach you in this conversation? Do you find clients coming to you before they've actually even confronted their spouse to say, Hey, this isn't working. We need to figure this out. Sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's premature, but they want to understand because it's the sphere of the unknown. Right? Absolutely. And, and that's what's going to happen to me financially. What's going to happen to my kids. I don't do that independent advice unless I know that someone's calling me to be review counsel. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's never a bad idea to go get legal advice, information, understand judicial norms before mm -hmm. a mediation. Um, that's absolutely appropriate. And, and a part of that preparation to be ready to proceed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you talked a little bit about the emotional side and you, so when you think of the financial aspect, mm -hmm right? What are, what have you found through this process um, that is helpful from a financial standpoint versus going into mm -hmm. full litigation, right? And I, it, I have to imagine in that point, everyone's fighting for that last dollar and, or maybe not. I, I would love to hear your, maybe your experience around that. So I think, I think what maybe you're getting at is, is how do people prepare for those discussions? And how do we keep them in a, a smooth manner? Because in a, in a mediation or a collaborative divorce, the discussions are first, let's identify all the information. Right. Does everybody understand all the information? Is there a pension that's complex so we should have a pension attorney brought in or, or have a discussion with a pension attorney? Again, the role of a certified divorce financial analyst is huge. Right. Not everybody adds a CDFA to their team. But I do always talk to people about it because you need to understand the tax consequences. Mm -hmm. You need to understand your budget. You need to understand once households are separated, how are we going to meet the expenses of two households? Right. Um, then that all ties back into legal. What does child support mean? What are the judicial norms and all those various pieces of alimony? Mm -hmm. So it, it's, Sometimes a CDFA is involved in the meetings and you could have a co-mediation. Right. Sometimes I have clients who work with a CDFA and then come to me with draft financial affidavits and at least an identification yes. of the financial issues. Um, but there are very, very complex matters that some people assume are better suited for litigation. And that's not always the case. So for example, you know, if there are sales of businesses with right. corporate documents and, you know, you can still, in fact, I have a mediation right now with that. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is bringing in corporate counsel and or a CDFA, both in this instance, CPAs as well, 
right. to review the agreement because these this lovely couple has a great handle on how they want to handle it. But now we've got to bring that all into a legal document. Right. And so you can still do that and achieve that and ultimately come out like these two people are as friends with a very well-written, well-crafted, enforceable agreement. Amazing. And and that answer your question though? Yeah. You know, thank you for, you did, you did, but I, and I think my question was a little bit roundabout because I, I was actually thinking of it a different way as well. I, I have to imagine that these families that go through litigation end up spending, and maybe I'm wrong, so much money, more money on attorney and time because they're so busy fighting each other. Um, and versus, you know, coming in and just sitting down and having these active discussions. I don't know if that's something that you found. Yeah, I mean, for sure, litigation is more expensive, you know, but uh, and any two lawyers in Connecticut can sit down and have settlement discussions. And they do, you know, to yeah. be fair, I think it's 95%, if not more of litigated cases do settle. That's a great point. Um, so, you know, they're not all going to trial. Right. And eventually, they're coming to the agreement. So the question for people is the end end result slash starting point mm-hmm. of your post-divorce life is your divorce agreement. Right. And so the question is, how are you going to get there? And what's going to work for your family? So if you feel mm-hmm. you need litigate the litigation process and formal discovery, you're still going to get there. If you can do it in a mediation, you're still going to get there. Right, right. And if you go through a collaborative divorce process, you're still going to get there. Ultimately, that agreement, by the way, does get submitted to court, does get reviewed by a, a judge, okay. and will have to get approved by a judge. So while in litigation, you've probably been embroiled in the court system already, right. in collaborative and in mediation, that's really the typically the first time that the courts actually involved. Got it. Okay. No, thank you for clarifying that. And, and are there, what are the biggest surprises for, for these couples when they go through this from a financial standpoint? I think the most common big issue is the house. Okay. Yeah. And what are we going to do? Can, can one person afford to keep the house? Is it just that someone, you know, very often I, I hear that people want to keep the house for the kids Mm -hmm. um, and they want to have that consistency. But unfortunately, it's not always the most financially viable decision. Right. And so that's, you know, that's a really important discussion to have with a CDFA or a financial professional, because we'll run scenarios and we'll look at budgets and we'll look at income with or without child support or alimony, whatever it might be. But I think living that post-divorce, I do find that's a big wake up call for people to sometimes have to come to the realization we might have to sell the marital residence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another big asset that many have are 401ks and IRAs. Are there considerations Mm -hmm. there that people need to think about? You know, absolutely. And, and this is a really important thing because a lot of people will come and say they have a a pretty specific plan. (laughs) And so I'm always wary when people say they already have an agreement because they probably haven't thought about all of the specific tax consequences. And so, so, you know, um, CDFAs say this best if, you you know, $100,000 in a retirement asset is not equal to $100,000 in cash. And so we need to examine those things separately. Right. Um, I think what also surprises people is that 
401ks and pension plans need a qualified domestic relations order, whereas mm-hmm. you can do a direct IRA rollover tax-free. Right. Um, and so these are things that, that we really have to dive into before people just start deciding what they want to do. Absolutely. Thank you for going through that. You brought up a couple of times the state of Connecticut. Are there state mm-hmm. considerations that come into play? Absolutely. So, you know, for sure, whomever your team is that you're working with um, on the legal side, you absolutely want somebody who is um, licensed in the state that you live in. And, you know, you could always look at the bar association websites, but most states do have uh, a statewide organization for non-adversarial divorce, similar to CCND that you had mentioned. Yes. Um, and so you can really do due diligence on finding your professionals that you want to help assist you through the process. Yeah. And, and can you talk a little bit about the organization? So the Connecticut Council for Non-Adversarial Divorce is our statewide organization, like I said, for non-adversarial divorce. And it's interdisciplinary. So we have legal professionals, we have mental health professionals, and we have financial professionals. And all of our members have been trained in non-adversarial divorce processes, mediation and collaborative. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that all of our financial professionals actually mediate, but they might. They might do co-mediation. They might be financial neutrals in collaborative divorce processes. And so, you know, the idea of a team-like approach or an integrative divorce process is important because um, there are so many nuances to every family. Right. And so one family's needs are very different than another family's needs. You know, part of what we didn't talk about on the emotional side are there are co-parenting counselors who are available to help help families. Yeah. Um, you know, there and and again, if there are children, maybe there maybe there's a need for that. Maybe there isn't, you know, but it's just important for people to know that there are professionals in all of these disciplines and then to figure out for your own particular family, which professionals would be helpful and and provide the support needed for the decisions you have to make. Okay. No, that's great. So it sounds like the CCND really embraces the team approach and helps provide that support for the couples. I think more people are recognizing that non-adversarial divorce is, a, is an option. Right. You know, I think that, um, like you said, back in the 90s, mediation sort of was a word people knew. Um, now, it's it, while there still might be some misconceptions, I think people recognize we should look into what is divorce mediation. Let's just understand it, you know, before we make our decision. Collaborative divorce, I think, in Connecticut is still... Um, on, uh, it's an interesting one. I think that it, again, is growing in acceptance, mm-hmm. um, but I do still think there are a lot of misconceptions about that as well. Is it possible that someone goes down this process <laughs> um, of you know, collaboration and then they end up just going through litigation? So I see it more the other way. I see it more often that people are litigating and then they move to a non-adversarial divorce process. Oh, that's great. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what I know you can talk about this all day and we're sort of just kind of, you know, scratching the surface here, but what have I missed in terms of asking you that you think is an important piece of, of this whole process? You know, I think that, um, I think that the, 
message of non-adversarial divorce is to keep your kids at the forefront Mm -hmm. and not in the middle, right? And so you had mentioned before when your parents were divorced and it affects the whole family. This is a family. The family doesn't end when the divorce is finalized. It's just restructured. And so how can we help families get through this process so that again, that, that, that judgment isn't the end. That's the beginning. Your agreement is the blueprint for your post-divorce life. So how do you get to that point and have, and be able to continue a healthy co-parenting relationship Mm -hmm. with your former spouse so that you can raise your children and your children can still have a family that may not live in the same house, but is still functioning. Because again, there's not it doesn't have to be destructive. There are, there's, oh, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreement. Married people have disagreement. Divorced families have disagreement, but you learn tools as to how you're going to work out those disagreements. You learn tools to, as to healthy communication and, you know, co-parenting isn't something you snap your fingers and say, poof, we're no longer spouses. Now we're co-parents. It's a process. And so really being open to learning through the process Mm -hmm. um, for the benefit of your kids is really what's key. Yeah. And I, as you're saying this, I love the comment that you just made because I think of my own family and, you know, now it's, I have two, two brothers and sisters, but my sister and I now have our own kids. So now we're talking about the impact on the, on the grandchildren as well. Right. Uh, So it certainly never goes away (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure. I'm laughing as we say this with spring break around the corner and trying to see family for the first time in a long time with this pandemic. So um, Uh, where would you recommend if people wanted to learn more information in general and and about you, to be honest, where where can mm -hmm. they go? Sure. So I always do refer people to the CCND website, which Be Patient is under some renovation at the moment. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's thegooddivorcect.com. Okay. Um, and then my website is divorcemediationct.com. And I do do workshops. Um, I do free workshops for people in the early stages of divorce. I do them with a CDFA. We talk about the top legal um, and financial considerations. We have an, one coming up in person with a divorce coach who's going to talk about some emotional considerations. Um, and so that is divorce resource ct.com. And uh, you could always take a look because we do try to do some more specific topics like divorced financial planning for college and retirement assets and and things like that as well. Because they're all part of the consideration. Absolutely. Yeah, no, great. Thank you so much for all of that insight and information. And um, I would highly recommend for anyone that's listening um, if this is of interest to you to check out one of these uh, websites and you also are on social media as well, correct? I am. I'm on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn Great. Um, and Instagram as well. Great. Well, Rosemary, thank you again. We appreciate all the insight. Thank you so much. It was so nice seeing you. Thanks for listening to Women on Wealth by Women for Women. Stay up to date by subscribing to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, please visit www.principalwealthpartners.com or join us on Facebook and LinkedIn.